Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, I wanted to continue off of a little theme that we've been having over our last couple of episodes over the last month or so, where we were discussing what's kind of going on in the book of Revelation. How should we understand that in the basis of our lives? Then we had that conversation about how Advent um, is the start of the liturgical year, why we have liturgical years, and also how Advent is not just preparing for Christmas, but it's also preparing for the second coming. And then our last episode here was you know, light in the darkness, how the darkness is essentially begging to be overcome by the light and goodness of the world. So looking through our episodes of all the times we've been doing this, and we're nearly at 150 now, we never actually discussed the second coming. And that kind of was the direction we were going in. And since we just kind of laid the table for it, it seemed that this would be an appropriate time to have that conversation. Yeah, well, it's uh, certainly useful. One of the things that gets a little bit fuzzy about the second coming is that the church doesn't teach a lot about it, a lot of detail. So it's the big concept is there. And then there's a certain amount of uh, revelation through the saints and things like that, kind of uh, pious traditions and not a lot of real, you know, magisterial teaching. So authoritative teaching on the details of the second coming. We we pull some bits and pieces from scripture. As we discussed before, the book of Revelation is not a place that we draw details from. You know, we draw some general concepts. We see some of those things uh, unveiled in, or, or experienced in scripture. We, we get, you know, it's very symbolic, uh, poetic language. So symbol, not in the sense of not real, but um, it, it has multiple meanings. So like, as a simple example, the woman in Revelation chapter 12, is that woman Mary? Yes. Is that woman the church? Yes. Is that woman Israel? Yes. <laughs> That's what symbols do is overlap several things at the same time. And so uh, anyway, we, we don't look to Revelation. The Revelation is not like the catechism in the sense that we say, oh, you know, it says 1250 years. Therefore, it's exactly 1250 years. Uh, so we just don't see the specific uh, uh, approach or, you know, a sort of historical approach, I suppose you might say, to uh, uh, the, the data that's given to us in Revelation. Um, it, it seems appropriate to talk about this on the eve of the new year, uh, the, the January is is named is from from the Latin Janua, which is uh, the word gate. So sometimes we see Our Lady referred to this if you do any Latin Janua Celi, the gate of heaven. And January is the gate of the new year, and so it's a gate of new beginnings. And so it's appropriate to think on the on the gate of the new year as we enter into the new year. Also, what it would be like to enter into uh, eternity. And again, there's a lot of bits and pieces that the, the church hasn't put together in real definitive ways. But we talk about a new heavens and a new earth. That's from Revelation 20, 21, that, uh, you know, what that means exactly. We also talk about uh, having glorified bodies. 
St. Paul's very explicit about this in 1 Corinthians 15, that we'll be reunited with our bodies. And so generally the church has talked about uh, two judgments, the judgment that happens at our death in, uh, you know, passes into purgatory or, uh, or potentially heaven or hell. And then there's a kind of second judgment, a final judgment, which would correspond uh, presumably also to the second coming, which would be a judgment uh, at which we receive our bodies. Now the, the damned as well as the saints receive their bodies, which is, causes more suffering. Hell is even more hellacious for those who have bodies than for those who are just uh, pure spirits. So uh, at the final judgment, we will receive our bodies uh, that that new body, which again is not exactly like this body, but is uh, something different. So St. Paul talks about a seed of and and gives us this image, almost like if you looked at an acorn, you wouldn't figure out that it turns into an oak tree. Mm -hmm. So looking at our body, you wouldn't necessarily figure out what this thing is turning into, but it is embodied. So angels will not receive bodies. Human beings after death receive bodies body is uh, death is of course the separation of body and soul and so we live in this kind of weird uh space of being uh oh what do they call that well disembodied spirits i suppose uh in in uh judgment or in uh after death so anyway there's there's a lot of bits and pieces is is there going to be a new world that is even analogous to this world uh is there it's just not clear what a new heavens and a new earth really means. There's been a lot of uh, art and poetry that's described generally the new world in terms of this world. Uh, it's not going back to paradise, to Eden. It's something much greater than Eden because it's really living in a full embrace of love. So anyway, I'm going a little bit uh, out there now into, into the, the final judgment, but that, that corresponds to the second coming. So there is an end of time, which again is a little strange for us, or at least an end of, of this world, the time as we know it in this world. And that's the time when Christ will come again in his uh, second coming. His first coming was, of course, at the incarnation when uh, he came among us in a hidden way. And then the second coming is when he comes in glory. And the scriptures use some images of him uh, in, in the Acts of the Apostles. It talks about him coming on the clouds of heaven. First uh, Thessalonians, St. Paul's uh, first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 4, which was the, the reading that was always used for funerals, is where we talk about his people being caught up. That word in Latin is raptus from which we get the rapture, mm -hmm. uh, but it's being caught up in glory. When, when the Son of Man comes in clouds of glory, then his people will be caught up and uh, drawn to him. Jesus talks about, you know, gives us some enigmatic thing about one being taken and one being left. It's not clear that that's talking about the second coming because the second coming would also be the end of time. So you wouldn't exactly have someone left um, so that's a little bit fuzzy exactly what he's talking there. Certainly the symbolic meaning or the, the deeper meaning is, you know, you can't tell people who are, it's not like we're going to be gathered into a little, uh, 
conclave and then uh, somehow meet the Lord and everybody else is going to be left. But the person you're with may be condemned and you are saved. You know, there's we, we live, we rub shoulders with people, uh, whether we're in monasteries or working in housing, uh, we rub shoulders with people who are saints and with people who are uh, maybe going to be uh, condemned for their hard-heartedness and their resistance of salvation. So anyway, that's certainly communicating that meaning, whether Jesus is really intending to say, um, literally somebody will be taken and somebody will be left and your neighbor will just sort of disappear from next to you. Um, that's never been an interpretation of the church, even in kind of creative imagination. That's a more recent uh, fundamentalist Protestant uh, vision of the rapture and things like that. So, uh, so anyway, there's a lot of a lot of speculation around these things. We get a little bit of data from the gospel, a little bit of data from the letters of St. Paul, a little bit of data from the Acts of the Apostles. And the church has not spoken a lot about it other than to say there will be a second coming and uh, there will be a final judgment and we will receive glorified bodies and there will be a, a new heavens and a new earth, but not a lot of detail beyond that, as I said to start out with. So um, there's, there, there could be lots of speculation and lots of creativity and lots of imagination, but not a lot of firm facts uh, even presented by the, the church in, in uh, her teaching. Which is going to put you in a lot of different spots. I mean, on the one hand, you can get the vast overwhelmness of of not knowing something, and, and, and that can be, frankly, some people are terrified by that. Um, and, and then you have people who know everything and will just say until they're right. Um, and, and then obviously there's a lot of in-between there. So I, I can certainly see part of why there wouldn't be a lot of, concrete examples of this happens and this happens and this happens it's not a roadmap where we can tell god what he's doing we've kind of had that discussion a couple of times before uh, at the end of the day he made us he can unmake us so he gave us free will which is very nice but he didn't have to um, so when, when you look at everything through that context it's it's almost counterintuitive to say that we have a say of where we're going in it um you know, I guess that's the byproduct of of free will that we get to say of will we live virtuous lives or not? Will we be open to to salvation and, and love, basically, at the end of the day? So th I guess that's that's the, the end result of, of free will there. But I look at, as we were going through some of the episodes of when Christ entered the world the first time, it's, there was a lot of turmoil in a lot of different ways, um, especially for the Israelites, but not just for, for them in the world, but just for all over the place. And it seems almost like the ultimate bittersweet moment that you know, you're rooting for Jesus to come back, but you have to go through some really, really bad stuff to, to get there. Um, would it not be better to try to do as bringing light on earth today and then you'll see Jesus later type thing. Yeah. So that's part of the thoughts that are running through my mind, as well as the magnitude of just truly never being able to grasp it, but kind of accepting that that's probably a good thing. And I don't know if that's the right opinion or not, but that's kind of the feelings I'm having. Right yeah. Now. 
Well, you make some good points, Joe, as always. And uh, both the circumstances in which the second coming will take place is an important thing that I should have mentioned. We, we have some ideas about that. And then also how we, you know, what attitude we should have or, or how we should be living our lives as a result. And um, what are the circumstances? Well, again, from the statements that Jesus makes in the Gospels, and those are the kinds of Gospels that we, we hear at the beginning of the Advent season and at the end of the ordinary time, uh, the liturgical year, he, he talks about how, you know, things will be earthquakes and signs in the heaven, war and insurrection. There's, you know, all the kind of bad stuff you say you don't know if you want to be around. Well, it's the bad stuff that's going on now. I mean, <laughs> really, we, we've got plenty of uh, signs in the heavens and wars and insurrections. And there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world. It just depends on where your location is. But um, some some are certainly feeling it more intensely than others. But a lot of, a lot of bad stuff. So Jesus does make the point that uh, the second coming will take place in the midst of bad stuff. So in other words, it's not like we're moving, you know, once society, once the world starts moving toward this kind of perfect, this point of perfection, that then it's like, we'll just take the next step or God will lift us up the next step into heaven. Uh, it's not like we, we climb up 10 stairs and then God will pick us up and, you know, take us the next step uh, onto the, onto the second floor or something. Um, it's not going to get a lot better worldwide. So uh, we don't believe that that uh, this world is ever going to come to the point that we're, you know, sort of make heaven on earth, that we make paradise on earth. Uh, I'll come back to that in a moment. But just to summarize that point, both Jesus and St. Paul reiterates the idea, he'll, it'll come like a thief in the night. So that's the call for us to be ready at all times. And that shouldn't scare us. We should already be trying to live as if the Lord were coming this instant. We should live this day as if it were our last. And that is to say we should do good and we should love fully. We shouldn't uh, kind of hold back and, and savor everything uh, waiting for that day when finally it's, you know, Again, we should be prudent in terms of savings and things like that. It's not what I'm saying, but but it's just we shouldn't hold back presuming that, you know, next week I can live fully. <laughs> no, we should try to live each day as fully as we can. And and that means, you know, through our work and through our relationships and on days on and on days off and to live it fully, live it virtuously, live live goodness, do the best that we can every day. We should do the best we can every day. Because the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We don't know when our own personal death will come. We don't know when the second coming will take place. And so that's a clear message in scripture. To come back to that other point of, well, what's the world going to look like as we get closer to the second coming? Well, pretty much the same as it looks now. Uh, so on the one hand, we shouldn't say, well, there's no point in doing anything. You know, why even have a just society? Why try to move? Well, no, that's not the point. Uh, 
we should try to work in that direction in part for our own holiness. We can't be negligent and commit sins of omission. We can't be indifferent and not care about others and presume that God will want us to be part of his eternal kingdom. <laughs> if we cultivate those attitudes, we might as well just prepare our place in hell and consign ourselves to condemnation. So we, we care about others first for our own eternal salvation. But the fact is, once we start caring about others, we start to become more like God. He doesn't need any of us. There's nothing in it for him. There's, there's, no, there's no selfish dimension of his creation or his salvation of us. He loves us for our own sake. And as we start to do things like him, as we follow his commands and we live like him, we become more like him and our love starts to become more selfish, selfless. We start to love others for their own sake. And then we can't look at the poor and say, oh, well, that's just too bad. That's their problem. We look at the poor and we say, can't we do something? I mean, can't can we help this guy that doesn't have a place to live? Can't we help this guy that's hungry? We look at nations at war and we say, can't, can't we do something? Now, in all these situations, it isn't obvious what the solution is, but we should care enough to want to do something. And then we start to look, well, what can I do? given my resources, what God has entrusted to me, my personal resources, mental and talents and whatever, and maybe monetary resources and my creativity, what ideas come to me. But uh, on the one hand, we're not, we don't imagine that we're going to build heaven on earth. So that's one of the problems of liberation theology. We don't hear that term too much anymore. It was very strong in the 80s, especially in South America. And there were a lot of uh, revolutions and insurrections that justified themselves using Christian principles, saying we need to take down these tyrannical rulers so that we can establish heaven on earth. And we're going to, and, and it's built on some false concepts that somehow you can impose uh, Christianity or you can impose a perfect world and was really used to justify revolutionaries and some other things. But uh, we don't imagine that we're going to create heaven on earth, but at the same time, we don't just sit on our hands and wring our hands and just think, oh, everything's so bad, there's no hope. Um, no, we do what we can. And however far we get, well, whatever. <laughs> uh, God will be all in all. And, and maybe the taste of heaven on earth will be enough that someone will adhere to God's rule and and desire to be in his kingdom. And maybe that will be a path to salvation. It's certainly part of preaching the gospel. So we do what we can with our eyes on heaven, with our feet on the ground, with our hearts formed like the hearts of God to care for all of his people. Certainly those close to us who are within reach and we can help more immediately. Also those far away who might be suffering in whatever way including not knowing Christ. It's the greatest suffering to not know him. And we have to work hard to make sure that everybody knows who Jesus is before his second coming. So going off of what you said there, a couple of thoughts occurred to me. Uh, the first is, is that even though we live in an alarmist culture where we think everything today is the first and worst it's ever been. Um, if you look at historians, um, one of the things I'm very into is military history. Pretty much since world history began that you can go back as far as recorded history, every eight to 12 years, there's been a war somewhere on this planet. 
And depending upon how you define natural disaster, that's going off at about the same clip. So that doesn't automatically mean just because because America was involved in a war doesn't mean that that it's starting the the, the second coming or the starting the the pretrials of it. And then the, the other point that I had is you were saying about caring about other people's problems and wanting to do something with it. I think that there's an important component that that we're missing more and more in today's culture um, is that we try to graft ourselves onto someone's problem, whether it's a real problem or not, so we can look like a hero talking about <laughs> it, even if it's not really an issue. So I, there's an important first step there which is to understand who you're trying to represent and just not going out with a megaphone and saying something and trying to get likes and retweets. Um, so I think that that's an important step involved because you can't truly love someone if you don't understand them. And I think yeah. that's another one of the, you know, we, when we talk about the faith, we kind of bounce around a lot. And this is my fault between kind of macro big picture things and micro things. When we talk about the mystery of faith, I mean, every mass, we, we, we do that. But I think one of the micro ones that we overlook, going off of that things of obvious things that we overlook in the faith is, starting point is God truly loves you. And to get to that point, he has to truly know you. And not in a way like Santa Claus is, where he knows if you've been bad or good, but to truly know you inside and out um mind body and spirit so that is something that is really profound if you take a step back and and give that a minute to set in and to to try to do what's right today is almost like a natural result of that you know if someone cares that much about you you tend to do that in return um unless there's a severe violation of trust and the one thing about god is that's not going to happen. Um, he's going to let you go out and make your own mistakes. Sure. That's part of life. And, um, but at the end of the day, it, it's, it's the best relationship you can have because it's divine and every sense of the word. So with that being said, I don't want to go on a tangent here at, at the end of the episode, but I do want to let you have a chance to, to bring it home and, and give us some thoughts that we should as we move forward with this. Cause Part of entering a new year is thinking about what's next. And in the grand scheme of things, most of our live our lives through what's next. What do we got to do later today? I got to go eat lunch. Where are we doing that at? Blah, blah, blah. But in a larger zoomed out view, what's next is judgment and the second coming. So I want to give you a chance to bring us full circle back to where we began. Yeah, I think again uh, on on the eve of a new year, the traditional practice of making New Year's resolutions. We have we have the sense of this being the end of something. You know, maybe 2019 was very painful for some people, and let's let's begin again. You know, let's. Uh, I know a lot. We carry problems over, uh, but but maybe just today we can take hold of hope and begin again. All this is coming to an end. All this is passing away. A lot of the things that cause us so much suffering are passing away. And that's part of the good news of the second coming. Second coming is a, a fearful thing, a frightful thing for those who are doing bad. The second coming is a wonderful thing and a joyful thing, a hopeful thing for those who are 
doing good and also suffering because of other people doing bad. And so we can look forward to that and say, well, maybe 2020 is the year. Maybe that's the year that Christ comes. And so whatever difficulties I've been enduring are coming to an end. If we've had a prosperous year, thank God. It's a traditional practice in the church that uh, we sing the Te Deum. That's uh, to you, O God. T-E, Te is you. Uh, Deum, D-E-U-M is uh, O God, to, to you, God. And we sing that as it's a psalm of a hymn of thanksgiving, traditional hymn going back to the fifth century or something like that. And the whole church sings that. The Holy Father will sing that this evening uh, as part of his celebration of evening prayer and has a special celebration in St. Peter's Basilica to give thanks for the past year, for 2019. In fact, whatever happened, whatever happened, Christ was still with us. Whether we were in suffering or whether we were in prosperity, Christ was with us. And that's why we thank God. He's working at his salvation in us and in the world. And uh, then we also look forward and offer some some prayers, uh, throw some prayers, some grace into the coming year, 2020, and look forward to it with hope that we can truly begin again in this new year, walk through the gate to the Yanawa into the new year and carry with us a, a real and living hope. Uh, maybe this is the year that everything will come to its consummation, that we can look forward to the conclusion, the happy conclusion of all things. So uh, just a few words of hope as we as we enter into the, the end of this year and the coming of the new year. Well, thank you for that, Father. And we will be with you again here next week and next year as well. So thank everyone for listening and we thank everyone for helping us grow. Have a great week, everyone.